0: So it is July 14th, it's 2013, it's hard to believe the frightening rate at which this ball of dirt is hurling around the sun, the years just keep ticking on and ticking on and ticking on. This little child came into the world last night, just before midnight, it was an interesting thing to be a part of, I've been at many babies' births, but never a baby's birth in a home. I'd like you to think about that for just a minute. A hospital just a few miles down the road, 911, three digits away on the phone, but a family that is so committed to the glory of God that they simply believe they heard from God that they could do it without the assistance of any medical practitioners, any midwives, any MDs of any kind. They believe that they would trust God and it'd be just fine. How many of you in here have had a baby? Wow. What an amazing thing. A loving husband, a dedicated prayer team, and the power of the Holy Ghost successfully delivered into this world that beautiful child. Luke, Jaden, Vincent is going to change the world because the sons of God are going to be revealed. And I want to tell you that they were faithful prayer warriors kneeling in a bedroom, they were faithful prayer warriors, worshiping the living God in the living room. Because when your friends' lives are on the line, for no other reason than they've decided to trust God, you care. Does this strike you as brash, bold, brazen? Come on, a little shameless audacity, Michael. To know that you could go get an epidural, you could... Take an ambulance ride. You could do anything. And I'm not shaming. All my children were born in hospitals. But simply for the glory of God and the testimony to your friends and family, you wanted to take a stand and say, no, this one, my fifth, into my 30s, well into my 30s, will be born in my own home. Come on, somebody say that's gutsy. The Jews would call that chutzpah. That's a little backbone. And it makes you have to wonder something. And it makes you think. Maybe we've insulated ourselves a little too much from all danger because I can tell you that while, and don't get mad at me ladies, while I may have no idea what it is like to give birth, we do know that every time she had a contraction in there and we heard that woman cry, we had a spiritual contraction on the other side of the wall and began to pray. And when she rested to catch her breath, so did we. And we listened for sounds of life. Much of the kingdom of God is likened to childbirth. This message today is called Caesarean section. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in the first chapter. Somebody say there when you were there. What is that life worth? And how did your new life in Christ start? Did somebody travail? Did somebody risk it all? Did they show faith? Or was it a vending machine kind of Christianity? Where we simply go up to an altar. Maybe you had a warm fuzzy experience. Nobody died. Nobody hurt. Nobody threatened. Nothing risked. Nothing really ever even gained. Just intellectual acceptance of the gospel. It's worth thinking about, isn't it? The first four centuries of our faith were marked by the expectation of martyrdom understand the cloth from which we are cut, looked into the face of the imperial powers of Rome, and said, you can't stomp us out. They didn't worry what the price of coffee or gasoline was. When they were hunted at the cost of their lives, they gladly gave their lives. They gladly gave it away. Because they counted it a joy to be able to suffer for the name of Jesus. Are you in Second Corinthians? Here comes the first chapter and first verse. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Look at my dyslexia is working there. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth. Oh, isn't that first line just worth thinking about for a minute? Who's the Bible written to? Bible written to pastors? Bible written to church leaders? Who is this letter addressed to? The church of God in Corinth. Together with all the saints throughout Achaia. The Bible itself is not addressed to an ecclesiastical leadership. It's not addressed to some group in Rome or Springfield, Missouri or any other governing body. The Bible itself is addressed to you. You have to take it in a personal letter, in a personal way. If I wrote you a letter, you wouldn't assume that it was for somebody else. You would believe that it was for you. So let's take these words to heart personally. Let's apply them to our life personally. Let's say, look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to look at me today. I'm going to look at me before I look at anyone else. I'm going to take a hard look at my own life. We do really good looking outwards. Oh, they should do this. They should do that. But the Bible was not addressed to them. It was addressed to you as well as them. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. How much? All. Come on, all comfort. It makes you wonder how a Christian could walk around looking like he was sucking on a lemon. It would make you wonder how it is that those who claim to be in Christ put the little fish on their car, wear the little bracelets and all, can walk around as victims. It's almost like we don't believe that God is the God of all comfort. So maybe the political arena is not bouncing your way. Maybe the employment numbers are beating you up in a personal way. Maybe things just don't look good for you. The God of all comfort. Hear this. Who comforts us in all our troubles. Where do you find his comfort? You find it when you are in trouble. We don't serve the God of the safe. We don't serve the God who insulates you from all threat. In fact, the God we serve says a thousand will fall at your right, ten thousand at your left, but it will not harm you. What I'm trying to tell you, friends, is we miss something. We miss that struggle, that fight of the faith that comes down to, oh dear God, this is really happening. Oh my... What happens if she starts bleeding? What happens if somebody's not... What happens if we actually have to trust God? What are we going to do? Oh, man. Most people cannot be put there unless they're forced there. There's a select few in this world, the remnant of the church of Jesus Christ, that look for the opportunity to show Him the genuineness and sincerity of our faith. You say, well, it's reckless. Oh, it may be. So is getting crucified. So is any mission trip you ever go on. It's reckless. It's a reckless abandonment of caution. A reckless abandonment of concern for this world and its affairs. Really, we're the princes of the universe. Freddie Mercury was right about that one thing and wrong about so many. We are the kings of the kingdom, provided we finish the race. This is what's ahead of us who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received. Oh my goodness. You can't give what you hadn't gotten. You can't give to somebody else what you hadn't gotten. You know what a woman resents who's in labor? A man standing next to her telling her how it feels. Because you can't possibly... Give somebody something that you never got yourself. Maybe this is why the world thinks the church is full of hypocrisy. Maybe it's why the world disdains present-day Christianity. They disdain it because we're out there talking about something we never actually received. We can describe it. We can tell you where to find it. But we ourselves so often don't have it. But boy, when you throw your hat into the ring of risk... When you step out for the living God, you might get your first real taste of life. Oh, I don't want to live a safe life anymore, friends. Play it safe, stay at home, hide within sound of the church bells. When the living God has called you to put yourself in the midst of the ruckus, the center of the ring. And whatever it takes to sustain you, you will have. Say, I've got it. I've got it in the name of Jesus. Whatever I need, he will give to me. Wow. Amen. And what he's given to me, I can give to someone else. Yeah. See, my life is not about what I can receive and store. My life is about what I can receive and transmit. Did you show up here to consume or to contribute? Did you show up in this place because you're the center of Christianity? That God exists and crucified his son simply to bless you? Or did you receive a blessing from the heavens so that you could be a blessing to everyone else? See, we need a nation that understands, a nation of God that understands. We're not victims. We're not the have-nots. We receive from the living God. The church of Jesus Christ is founded on a revelation that a man, an ordinary man, even a flawed fisherman, can receive from the third heaven. And what he received, the emperor in Rome cannot take away, cannot beat out of him, cannot torture away from him. What he received, that, that he can give. So I'm going to ask you, what do you have to give? You have whatever you've received. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. So maybe we need to learn to ask for the right thing. Somebody say amen. amen. He goes on here to say, if we are distressed... No, let's pick up in verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Distress comes before comfort. This is a biblical principle that has been edited out of our lives. We've been given a spiritual epidural. Church is dead from the waist down even though it's alive. Say, why? Why would we do that? Because we don't like distress. We like comfort. But you can't give what you hadn't received. And the only way you receive comfort is if you're in distress. So look around you. Do you see distress? Say, praise God. This is how you can say, I'm blessed when I'm persecuted. I'm distressed today, but I'll be in comfort tomorrow. And if I get some, I can give some. If I get some, I can give some. So we don't have to whine when trials of various kinds come on us. You can laugh and dance because you're about to get your comfort. Now, I grew up in a household where a man drunk a product called Old Southern Comfort. It didn't bring anything into our lives except distress. The world will offer you a comfort that kills you. But the living God will offer you a comfort that will save you. It'll be hell all around you, but well with your soul. My mother-in-law is a sweet woman. Y'all can say amen. Amen. She's my mother-in-law. Say it again. Amen. Amen. She gave me a tape. That's how old we are. It It was not an eight track. It was a tape. And it was the second chapter of Acts worship choir. Now, I had not listened to Christian music ever in my life. I thought Christians were... I can't tell you what I thought they were back then. <laughs> but I was now born of the substance of heaven. And I heard these people singing, It is well with my soul. And I wore that tape out. in a little 1993 Saturn, we'd play it and rewind it and play it and rewind it until the tape just come <clears throat> apart. Because it was finally well with my soul and it didn't matter what happened around me. I didn't care for what I had. I didn't care for what I didn't have. I was simply praising God that I was. I was now born of heaven. Friends, we need an attitude adjustment. Because if you find out who you are, nobody will have to tell you how to act. If you find out your heavenly identity, nobody will have to tell you how to act anymore. Once you know who you are, you'll know what you have. You have everything that is God's. He said so. He said so. Brother Curtis called us a new species. I'm not limited to being white. He's not limited to being black. We have a whole new arena. You know why? We are the sons of God. I'm not defined by my height. I'm not defined by my stature. I'm not defined by the color of my skin or my socioeconomic grouping. I am defined by what the living God put in me and he put in me whatever I received. And what I received is what I can give. I got something to give, saints. Do you have something to give? Because if you don't, you can get it today. If you don't have what you need, you can ask the heavens, and they will pour into you. I don't know why these men are so obsessed with gold dust and angel feathers and making their accounts rich. It's the poor who are rich in faith. They are the rich in faith. So why would we fight to keep from being poor? Maybe we don't want to be in any distress. How about this verse? Comes into verse 6. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. Distress brings comfort and salvation. The living God looked upon a people in Egypt and saw they were hard pressed. They were being crushed. And so He brought a Savior to them. He brought them Moses. The living God looks upon those who are being pushed down, those who are being crushed, and He brings to them liberation and shalom, comfort, peace, that it is well with my soul. But those that have no need of Him will be passed by by Him. Saints, we're not the end of the world. We're not the tail. We're not the scum and the drags of the earth. We're simply receiving our distress now so that we can receive our comfort later. They are receiving their comfort now and will be in distress for as long as God's alive. We do not want you... No, verse 7. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. You have to share in sufferings if you want to share in comfort. Now, I didn't write this, and I didn't assign this to you. The Apostle Paul, who brought the gospel to the Gentile world, he wrote this. He wrote this to you. And he himself spent more than 14 years gathering this revelation. Did the man suffer? Oh, he was beaten, he is shipwrecked, he was stoned, he was left outside for dead. He was in peril from false brothers. And from bandits. But his suffering brought you something. It brought you salvation. Now we've heard that at the cross it was all done. And yet Paul still had to go suffer to get the gospel as far as the Gentile world. So how does that work? We get to fellowship in his sufferings. You get to be like Christ. You get to step out there, act like him and be treated like him by the world. That's not a shameful thing. Church, it's your glory. If you understood, it is your glory. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the providence of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Oh, man. Who, Who is saying this? Is he a pansy? Is he a little daffodil flower? Far from it. Amen, girl. This is not a weak human being. Of course, he gloried in his weakness that Christ might be strong in him. Did he suffer? He persevered. And he said he's enduring beyond his ability to endure. So that we despaired even of life. That's a nice way to say he could want to die, huh? How many of you girls have been in labor before? (laughs) Ha ha. Okay, we'll come back to that. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I just got to tell you, there was this moment. In fact, in every one of my children's births, there was also this moment. makes no difference whether there's a doctor standing beside you or not. He's not having the baby. She's not having the baby. Your wife is. There's this moment where sheer panic hits. They flush from the tips of their toes to the tops of their head and this thought floods them. I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't know what's going to happen. You're going to have to kill me. You've got to do something because I can't do it. And right on the other side of the I can't do it is a brand new life. Every one of the women who watched this childbirth the other night who had children said the same thing. Yeah, it was always at that point that my children came. There's a principle wrapped up here even in nature. When you get to the end of your ability to endure is when life comes. And yet we protect and we hide and we try not to. Saints, what would happen if we had the same kind of eager passion that the early church had? There's a truth here. The very worst pain possible often yields life. It yields life. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We serve a God that can raise a dead body. We are a part of His body that is supposed to be raising the dead. How can we exchange reliance on our own arms when it costs us reliance on God? Wednesday night, I was preaching on brokenness. It's easy to preach on a subject. Come on now. You, you might not think so. But after a while, this gets easy. It's, it's, it's fun to preach. I'm just going to tell the truth. I love it. I live for these moments. But preaching doesn't really do anything for me in the end. It's what we go out and live. And the problem with preaching on brokenness is then you get to live brokenness. When we reach the end of ourselves, friends, this is the moment that you find out how big your God is. And it's why He doesn't despise you. It's why with a broken and contrite heart. He never looks down upon the one who is afflicted. He looks down upon the one that has no need of Him. Come on, do you need Him? I need Him. That ninth verse is something else. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You have a choice. Are you going to live a self-reliant life? And let's just examine that for a minute. How's it going for you? Relying on your own arm, you've never let yourself down, have you? Complete master of your own body and mind, destiny and future, huh? The man who relies on his own arm, the Bible says, is cursed. The world thinks we're weak when we drop to a knee in a difficult situation. The world thinks that we're stupid for not defending ourselves, for putting ourselves out there at risk. But this is the only way to know that you're not relying on yourself. You're relying on the living God. I'm going to throw my lot in with Jesus. How about you? Galatians 4.19 says this. uh, We can put it on the screen maybe. I'm going to read it to you. My dear children for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. The Apostle Paul never had a baby either, but apparently he was in a situation that he thought was beyond his ability to endure. At that moment where he thought, oh dear God, it's going to kill me and it would be worth it to bring forth that life. He told the Galatian church that Christ would be formed in them. Let me ask you, how much did he protect himself? How much did he hold back? None. He's supposed to be formed in you. One man that came here to preach said, do you want a little Jesus formed in you or a great big Jesus, a fully mature Jesus? Do you want a premature Jesus in you? What did that stupid movie say? An 8 pound, 11 ounce, golden diaper baby Jesus? Or do you want the awesome warrior God that is so loving that he'll reach down to a prostitute who wants to change? and so strong that the entire nations of the world cannot stand against His will. He can be formed inside of you. His Spirit can enter you. He can change the way that you live, think, and act. But something has to happen. In the second chapter of Corinthians, I'm sorry, the second book of Corinthians, fourth chapter, you hear these words that come from the twelfth verse. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Isn't that an interesting thing? For something to live, something else has to die. Anybody in here like steak? How much? See, because I I love it. I I mean, there is nothing that is better than a porterhouse. You get the New York strip and you get the filet on the other side. Now, you may not get, to get all the steak you want, and I understand that, but people save up for that. They'll, they'll wait. They'll wait months to be able to go and eat a steak dinner. When I was a kid, I knew when Dad had done well in his job because we ate a steak. If it was macaroni, we weren't selling very much. If it was spaghetti, we weren't selling very much. But if he came home... And said we're going out and mentioned the steakhouse. I knew all was right with the world. That's a lost little boy right there. You know what never occurred to me is something had to die for me to have that experience. Something had to give us life. We're so far removed from the difficult in life, we don't even have to kill our own food anymore. We actually have raised children that believe steak comes from the grocery store. Wow. Think on that for a minute. We actually live in a society where ground beef is something you don't grind, you don't kill, and never bled. It's simply cellophaned and styrofoamed. And when you remove everything that's difficult and award everything that's wonderful, it results in immaturity. Because you never got a chance to receive from God. You never got a chance to get to the end of your rope and have Him come through so you don't have anything to give. You can talk about it. We never experienced it. I believe that the time is coming and that the prophecy in other tongues today during our service. By the way, I love that. If that makes you uncomfortable, good. The Holy Ghost will make you uncomfortable sometimes. The prophecy that came forward in the service spoke of the Lord's return. Oh, my goodness. There is a time coming before His return where it gets a little difficult. Amen. How about this? Since we're talking about childbirth, you ladies will love this. Guys, if you come from the generation that sat outside and smoked a cigar, it will be an education. <laughs> the first stage of labor begins with early labor. This is a time period where she's realizing these are not Braxton Hicks contractions. These are coming with some regularity. And as those things increase and begin to hurt more and more, she moves into what's called active labor. They're getting quicker. They're getting stronger. She's beginning to think, I might not be able to catch my breath. Can we get an amen, ladies? And oh dear God, then comes transition. Transition is the time period where the baby is actually moving into the birth canal. This begins what is probably the most agonizing human experience that a woman can have. They move to the second stage. This is the one you always hear and see on TV, the pushing stage. This is where suffering really begins to peak. I can't believe there's no amens or mm (laughs) mm-hmms. That came from a dude. That won't work. (laughs) The third stage is odd. See, the pushing stage results in life. The suffering part results in life. The third stage, the textbooks call afterbirth. What sustained you through those difficult times? Now it's just passed away. You have a whole new relationship. You have to learn to eat in a new way. You get to form a new bond. Oh, you were with mama before, but now you're with her in a whole new way. I'm telling you, the earth is going to go through birth pains. It's going to transition into a pushing phase. And the sons of God are going to be revealed and it will change everything. You know what the fourth stage of pregnancy is called? Recovery. It's when you heal. It's when you feel relief. No more sin burden. It's when joy overwhelms the pain. You cannot get to that kingdom. Without suffering. It doesn't happen. If Jesus said it'd be like labor pains, then friends, it will be like labor pains. Let's look and see how Jesus came in the world. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Say, I'm with you, Pastor. If I can do this on two hours sleep, you can stick with me for two hours without sleeping, can't you? Anybody in here ever lay tile? Raise your hand if you lay tile. You ever had to pick up what you laid down? Get you a little sledgehammer and and a chisel? pull it up, and then put a different kind down. Is that fun? Why would you do something like that? Well, they have to pay you a bunch of money. Why would you do it for free? You do it for free because you love the one you're doing it for. Come on, if you love something, you will suffer for it. If you love something, you don't look for the easy way out. You don't put me first. If you love someone, you put them first. Do you love Jesus? Yes. Then he's got to come first. And he says you've got to love your brother. This will result in a less, less self-centered life. One that is looking outward. One that is looking to love Jesus by working on their behalf. Look at your buddy and say, I'm going to work for you. Oh, that's hard to say, isn't it? That makes him your boss. Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to serve the least. So we can look at our neighbor and say, I'm going to serve you. Yeah, we don't like to do it though, do we? Because you're scared to death. They may take you up on that offer. Well, you said you was going to serve me. But isn't that exactly what Jesus did? He did not come to be exalted in the way that men are exalted. He came and served. Are you all in the first chapter of Luke? Now this is a familiar story, but you're going to get it again? Because I can do that. It's 26th verse. In the sixth month, God sent an angel, sent the angel Gabriel the Nazareth to a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, in our generation, the word virgin means something different. I mean, it can mean that. But we treat it almost like a figure of speech because nobody expects it to actually be true. In this time period, a virgin was a woman who had kept herself pure for a bunch of reasons. One is her daddy would probably kill her if she didn't. Boy, boy, how things have changed. Now we just say be safe as if you can commit sin and that's safe. Sin kills, friends. It kills. Sin is a disease that's worse than the diseases you get from sin. Let me say this, though. A virgin in this day was one of the lower members of society because she's unwed. She's very young. She hadn't produced life, hadn't produced a child. And what did heaven say to her? Greetings, you who are highly favored. You feel like you're down and out in here today? Feel like nobody looks at you as anything? Little Mary had an attitude that heaven shined upon. What's your attitude like? Is it worth heaven shining upon? Are you so focused on your own circumstances that you never thought that to change the world you could start with yourself? You know, Leo Tolstoy, they say, was a great thinker. He was certainly a great author. He said, everyone dreams of changing the world. Nobody starts with themselves. Simply by changing your attitude and your view and asking heaven to remake your heart, it'll begin to work on your circumstances. But I assure you this, the fastest way to be a victim is to think of yourself as one. The fastest way to be a have-not is to proclaim it and live like it. In the name of Jesus, we are the sons of God. Have we said that enough? Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Come on, this is like somebody walked into you and said, Nolan, you great man of God. And you're like, who told him what? Why would he say? Peter Uba used to do that to me. He'd call me and he'd say, Brother Eric, great man of God. And I'm like, did he call the wrong Eric? (laughs) I mean, because that's not how they referred to me in my home. (laughs) She was troubled because maybe her view of herself was not the same as heaven's view of herself. Oh, come on, ladies, there's not one of you out there that suffers from that same problem? We're so sure that these people in the Bible were so very different than us. We paint iconic figures of them and we lift them up beyond the human realm so that we don't have to live like they do. Oh, we say we're venerating them, we say that we're loving them, we're, we're admiring them, all those things, but what we're really doing is putting them in a category of something other than us. Roll back to your time in life where if an angel showed up and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, you'd go, who's he talking to? But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. What is that worth to you? Favor with God. People get excited if they can get a tax deduction. How about favor with God? You will be with child and will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. What did that cost her, friends? Can you imagine going home saying, Mom, Dad, uh, I got something to tell you. Can you imagine what that was like? She risked everything. You know what her response to all of this is? She says, may it be unto me as you have said. This is how Jesus came into the world. When you begin to look at that, those stages of childbirth, you can't help but miss that that very first stage when contractions are starting to happen. Do you know who is in power when Jesus is born? Augustus Caesar. Do you know what his title was? He forced people to say it wherever he went. Lord of lords and king of kings. There is no name save Augustus Caesar by which men must be saved. That was written on coins in his day. This is when God chose for Jesus to be born and placed in a manger. Is that difficult? You move on from that to other time periods in Jesus' life. you remember as you get to the end of the second chapter of Luke? What, what must this be like? For Mary, look at the second chapter and 49th verse. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Somebody said raising kids is hard. Mario, you do a good job, but is it hard? Can you imagine now that for a little while we're going to loan you God's kid? What kind of pressure is that? You know, one of the things that I admired is that in the Vincent home, Teresa's mom was standing right there next to Brent while Brent delivered a baby. Teresa's mom is watching her go through agony. And the guy who told her not to go to a hospital is standing right there. Oh, y'all must not be married. <laughs> Nobody in here got a, got a mother and father-in-law? How you feel if you think somebody might be risking your daughter's life. Risking your daughter's life. And it could have been avoided. It can almost always be avoided. But the great men of God throughout history did not avoid it. Paul could have avoided going to Caesar, but he didn't. Peter could have avoided being crucified upside down, but he didn't. Jesus could have avoided the cross, but he didn't. Oh my goodness. You go on through Jesus' life. He gets to a wedding. You remember what phrase comes up? His mama asks him what he's going to do. And it's in John 2, 4 through 5. And he looks at her and he says, Dear woman. It's almost as if he's comforting mama as she goes through yet one more kind of contraction. She had this vision. She became pregnant with a promise. God said to her, she would have a child. That's how she got pregnant. Anybody in here got pregnant that way? No, that's not how it happens. But it happens to human beings that when God says something that you believe, you become pregnant with that promise. And that pregnancy is going to cost her something. It's going to cost suffering. What kind of suffering? Oh, well, he'll be 13 years old at a bar mitzvah and you'll begin to realize he's got a daddy who is God. And the way you're doing things, you're accountable to God for. Then you get to a wedding and you suggest to your son. Any mamas ever make a suggestion to their son? Come on, mamas, talk to me. You ever make a suggestion to your son? I can call your names. Cass, you ever make suggestions to your kids? Do you expect your suggestions to be done? Yes, we do, don't we? And he looked at her and he said, dear woman, with, this is compassion. You know why? Because he's about to tell her, I won't do anything you tell me to do. I only do when it's my time. See, we go through this thing where a promise is born inside of us. We're, we're pregnant with it. But then you go through suffering to carry it out. It's maybe not going the way you think it should. It's maybe not happening like you planned it. Does that upset you? It upsets me. In a building project, I like to know where my... I actually go lay the materials in the room in the order I'm going to put them up. It's less trouble to visualize it that way. And if something happens, I don't have the right tool, I don't have what I need, or the homeowner comes and says, you know, we're going to do it differently. I don't like that very much. But it's their house. Somebody says God's house. He's the one that gives us the vision. He's the one that has the right to tell us how it happens. And it's a little bit like having contractions at some time. You know when the last time Jesus ever looked at His mama and said, Dear woman, it was in John 19. In John 19, the 26th verse, He looks at His mama and He says, Dear woman, behold your son. Then He looks at the Apostle John and He says, Behold your mom. Dear woman, what must that have been like for Mary? The boy that was going to change the whole world is now dying on a cross. But you see, it's at those moments of greatest suffering in our life where it looks like total failure that you learn this didn't depend upon you. It depends on a God who raises the dead. And this is where we find out what it means to have resurrection power in our life. It's not so that we can be crazy charismatics running around in a who's who charismatic zoo. It's not so that we can entertain each other with trinkets from heaven. The power of the Holy Ghost is in you to remind you, to empower you that we overcome all in the name of Jesus and it is worth it. Oh man. The guys, we put a brick up here from Azusa Street and the guys from Azusa Street feared that there would be a day when people would exalt the gifts of the Holy Spirit above the God who gave them. How sad. We forget our purpose. We forget our function. You're to travail for life. We get to a time period in Jesus' life where His mama had to watch Him die. Who in here has received something from heaven? Raise your hand if you think you've received something from heaven. So look around. Maybe it's adoption. Maybe it's a woman's ministry. Maybe it's mission field around the Black Sea. Maybe it's a dance ministry or a teaching ministry. Maybe you're a missionary somewhere like Africa or China. I want to assure you something. There is no way to get to the end of that vision without going through the process of labor. There is no way to arrive at a fully formed healthy baby without going through distress and discomfort. And if you don't reach a place where you think it can't be done, you will never see life. Don't let the church world, don't let its teachers give you an easy way out. Otherwise, you'll know all about a subject, but you will never have experienced it. Anybody hear what I'm saying? Turn with me to Judges 13. Say there when you're there. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Are all of your problems in your life somebody else's fault? Because I bet the Israelites thought that it was the Philistines' fault. I bet the Israelites looked around and said, You know what? My life is so hard because of these Philistines. Because that's what people do, right? You're mad at the police officer because he gave you a ticket and forgot you were speeding and that's why I gave you the ticket. It is so easy to assign responsibility everywhere else. Why are they in bondage? They're in bondage because they sin. I'm going to suggest to you that the real source of most of our problems is not that you don't have enough money. It's not that your body's not working right it's not that your neighbors don't behave right and your relatives aren't good relatives. Most of the problems in our life come from the fact that we've been enslaved by sin. And the first step to fixing any problem is fixing your own sin problem. A certain man of Zora, not Zoro, Zora, named Manoah from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are sterile and childless. Oh, thank you. Thank you for reminding me. If you ever had to travail to see something come about, don't you love when people go, you want to do what? When I moved here and I said I was going to start a church because something was born in my heart. Everybody I ran into said, Sugar Land's got enough churches. I said, ours is going to be different. How so? Well, we're going to meet in our house. (laughs) Oh, y'all are a cult. (laughs) See, you don't read your Bible much, do you? You didn't read how the church began, did you? Oh, well, that that was way back then. Today, we just franchise it out, you know. Today, we get the fully formed baby without ever having had to go through labor and delivery. See, today... We can just borrow some money. We can build a building, and people will come to a building, especially if you call it the church, which is what they're supposed to be. But during the decade that it took us to get where we're at, we had to travail. And so many times people said, you can't do it. I'm going to tell you the truth. You know who knew I couldn't do it? Me. Me. But that's where you find out what is born of heaven inside of you. It never relied upon me or Matthew. It doesn't rely upon Charlie or Steve. It relied upon God. Brother Jay was praying with us one day. He said, I notice you people are always praying for the right man. You're praying for a good man. You're praying for a man that God raised up. He said, how about you just pray for any man that's willing? And it's the truth. It never depended upon what resided in the man. It depended on what God deposited in the man. Oh, we need to learn what to ask for, friends. We would Did did you know? Did you know that over 100 million Americans are receiving food assistance from the federal government? Do you know, do you know how many million Americans are actually working full-time employed? 96,000. I'm sorry, 96 million. There are more people receiving a handout from the federal government than there are working full-time. Does that strike anybody as a problem? Look, I understand. We think we need it. We think we're entitled to it. We think somebody else should provide for us. We always want something for nothing, don't we? Oh, man, if we could fix the problem in our own hearts if we could begin to see ourselves as the children of God and actually expected Him to provide for us. Oh, it may not be a popular message, but it is the kingdom message. You are sterile and childless. Agree with someone who cast that kind of statement upon you. Because this angel is certainly not lying. He's acknowledging the truth of the situation. And yet what he says, but you're going to conceive and have a son. This is when you look in the face of your problem and you say, I can't, but he can. I can't, but he can. Now don't misunderstand me, church. I'm not saying you sit on your salvation and tie your hands behind your back and wait on him to do it. I'm saying you head in the direction of faith. You throw caution to the wind and you run in the direction that he is going to do it. We used to say, pray for rain, carry an umbrella. Say, said, but it's not raining yet. Get your umbrella if you believe that it's going to rain. What kind of faith do you have? The kind that says one day God will make it rain or the kind that's at the store buying the umbrella before the first drop hits the ground? See, there's only one kind of faith that saves. And it's the kind that is accompanied by righteous actions. Because real faith produces righteous actions. It does. Everything else falls short of real faith. In Romans 1.5, the Apostle Paul said he was called to work among the Gentiles and that they would have... Look, it's on the screen. Through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among the Gentiles to the what? To the obedience that comes from faith. Your faith will produce obedience or it's not real faith. Oh my goodness, we were in Judges, weren't we? Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite. Set apart to God from birth. He will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of Philistine. Who is going to be a Nazarite? Say it again. Who's going to be a Nazarite? Come on, what's his name? Who's going to be a Nazarite? But if Samson's going to be a Nazarite, his mama has to live like a Nazarite? See, this points to a problem in the church. We feel called, we believe, we have a vision to do so many things that we're not doing right now. Oh, I'm going to be a great teacher. Who are you teaching now? I'm going to be a great leader who's following you right now. Look around you, look behind you, see who's in your footsteps. That'll tell you what kind of leader you are. See, we say that we have vision for things that we're not doing. But this woman believed God to the extent that she began living as a Nazarite to do what? Produce a Nazarite. One thing I know for sure, friends, despite all of the scientific argument, everything gives birth according to its kind. That's how you give birth. That means that bovine give birth to bovine. You can't get a canine from a bovine. Dogs don't come from cows. You cannot go to the spiritually dead that know all kind of things about Jesus but never received anything from Him and get spiritual life. It won't work. You've got to go find somebody with spiritual life. Spiritual life gives birth to spiritual life. Heaven gives birth to heavenly things in you. So often, we want to give birth to a superstar, but what we're doing is living like a loser. You want to give birth to a superstar? Ask God to begin working His superstar power inside of you. Oh, this really gets to be an issue, doesn't it? Let me, let me just read you a couple of scriptures and see if you can surmise something. Is that okay? Are you all done with me? Are you all 12 o'clock and done? Is that where it gets? Because I watched Teresa, and at 12 o'clock last night, she was still working. You know why? She wanted to bring life into the world. She has her baby today. When this life is over, what will you hold? What will be your legacy? Will there be anything you're proud of? Matthew 24, 12-14 says this. I'll read them to you. You can write them down. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. What did Mary have to endure before she saw Jesus raised from the dead? The death of her vision. What did Manoah and his wife have to endure in watching Samson? Samson became a success after the pains of death. You understand what I'm saying? This battle never came easily. Look, I happen to know a few ministry veterans, and one thing that you find out quickly is while somebody's praying and prophesying, oh, you'll be a great evangelist. The ones who've already been working in evangelism are cringing a little bit because they know what it's going to cost him. We talk about salvation like it's free. (laughs) It's the only free thing you'll ever have that costs you everything you have. It's free. Well, He freely gave it to you, and if you really get it, everything you have belongs to Him. It's exchanging the world as a master for the Lord of glory who becomes your master. How about Revelation 2.26? To Him who overcomes and does My will, to the end I will give authority over the nations. We have a people, friends, maybe some of you, who believe that you'll receive authority over the nations. Believe that you'll be saved, whether you stand firm or not, whether you hang in there and persevere or not. We want the baby without the labor. Revelation 13, 9 says this, He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. And if anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of Of the saints. To that, we respond, we won't be here. We want the baby. We want salvation born. We want the the realization of the kingdom of God on earth, and we do not want to travail for it. And when you teach that and you live like that, something begins to happen. You avoid things you dislike, you only engage in the things that you like. And it makes us immature. No perseverance. No character. We're like children saying, gimme, gimme, my name is Jimmy. Instead of persevering for the vision that God gave us. If it's hard, we give up and say it's not a, not a success. Do you know how many times I was told because I had a handful of believers meeting with me in a living room that it wasn't a real church? Do you know how many times I got the testimony from some trendy trendy dude with fancy glasses and a tattoo on his underarm just so that you know he's got a past? He told me, oh, well, when we started our church, we handed out flyers. And 2,000 people showed up. That's the only testimonies I ever heard because it's the only leaders that this worldly church lifts up. Those who got the baby... Without persevering for it, we're going to give an account, friends. Every man will receive for what he did in this body, whether good or bad. The victorious church is actually a group of people who have become victorious in Christ, not simply claimed victory. This brings me to the topic. Is that okay? Y'all mad? You sure? few of you are going to get mad. Let me give you my short disclaimer. I'm not good at those. You want a good disclaimer, see someone else. I'm about to describe something. And if it happened to you, and you feel like I'm talking about you, if it's a bully pulpit and how dare he say that, my temptation is to say that I'm definitely talking to you. I'm going to acknowledge up front there are some medical conditions that you may have to do certain things. I'm gonna, that's my whole disclaimer. Is that fair enough? There are some medical conditions where you have to do certain things. You can figure out what that is. You know what you call a fully formed baby that there was no labor for? A C-section. Oh, I know, ladies, you can get mad. I'm not putting down on anybody who had a C-section. That's not the point. Do you know that nobody ever survived a C-section until the 12th century? You know where C-sections came from? There's two ruling legislations, bodies of law in the Roman Empire. One is the Lexa Regia, and the other is the Lexa Caesarean. It means ruling law and imperial law. It goes back to 600 B.C. They said if a mama died, and there was still a baby in her, you had to cut her open and take the baby out because they didn't want to bury a pregnant woman. They valued life more than we do. Then, if a mama was alive and had not given birth past the ninth month, entering the tenth month, they cut her open and took the baby out because they valued the new life more than the life that it had already had years. Boy, things have changed, huh? You might think that's cruel and it's barbaric, and I'm not here to argue those merits. I'm simply telling you that when they cut the life out and there was no labor, it resulted in death. It was not the cycle of life that God intended. The first modern Caesarean section that ever occurred was in 1881. It was a German in a hospital. Big surprise, the Germans are smart. That's the first time a mother and the baby both survived. At least in modern times. You ever wonder what happened between 1881 and all the other times? Well, they all died. No, there was one. I told you in the 12th century, somebody did it. You ever heard of a Jewish theologian named Rambam, Maimonides? He's the first person in recorded history that documented a cesarean section that saved the mother and the baby. Leave it to the Jewish nation to show us how to bring forth a life into the world, huh? This All this topic came up for a reason, though. When we think that we cannot go through labor, we do C-sections. Now, maybe some are medically justified, but I know this. From 1996 to 2009, that's 13 years. Say 13 in 13 years, there was a 60% increase in this nation in Caesarean sections. Do you think that suddenly women were anatomically different than they had been for thousands of years? Why the 60% increase? Well, maybe doctor had a golf game. Or maybe, maybe we are starting to produce women that don't want to go through labor. We have a church that doesn't want to go through labor. We'd rather be raptured from Labor. We'd rather just get the hell out of here and let the world burn. And you know what? We were called for these difficult times. This is where life is really born. We could hear Teresa sound as if she was dying. And you know what was immediately after that? The sound of a new life that entered the world. Say, oh, pastor, you picked a strange way to make a theological point. I simply want to tell you that Matthew 24, 4, You can put that on the screen. Let everybody see that. Matthew 24, 4. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. Keep going. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginnings of... What are we trying to birth? We're trying to birth the sons of God on earth in a kingdom of God. We want to get out of the birth pains. We want to get our Caesarean section. You remember Genesis one twenty four said to us, Everything gives birth according to its kind. Cowards beget cowards. A church that wants to insulate itself from everything that's difficult, a church that doesn't want to be in distress, a church that says, comfort, 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 never warded off captivity. It brings distress. But a church that says, I was made for distress, and in that distress I will receive from heaven and I will give what has been given to me, This is a church that will bring forth life. Romans 8, verses 18 through 20 say, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Do you know what they were waiting for when little Luke was coming into the world? Somebody came out every 30 minutes, you know. Where are you at, Ella? I'm sorry. I said, Ella, that's not enough. Come tell us every 15 minutes. Stuck their head out the door and said, Baby's not crowning yet. Baby's not crowning yet. You know when the baby crowned? It's when the screams got the loudest and it got the most difficult. You'll see Teresa in two weeks, though. You'll probably see her before then. You know what? She won't resent what it cost her to get that baby. She won't resent it at all. In fact, she'll have moved on to that fourth stage that is a little bit like the millennium. There'll be healing for the whole world. There'll be relief for the whole world because the sons of God did not take the easy way out. They said, bring it on and then some. The more you hit me, the more life will come out of me. But how do you prepare for that kind of attitude? You certainly can't if you can't face it today. You would think from our newspapers, you would think from around us that we were being persecuted. None of you, and I realize what I'm saying when I say that, none of you have half as difficult life as most people I know in India. Not one person in here is struggling the way that my friends in Africa struggle. And we think it's tough. We have managed to produce the most lazy, affluent well, we give birth after our kind, don't we? So, Pastor, it feels a little bit like you're saying we're failures. That's a thought to be wrestled with. Who was this book written to? Y'all can speak. Who was the book written to? It was written to us. Turn with me to Isaiah 26. I'm going to tell you a secret all God's people are pushed to the point where we are failures. Paul got to the place where he said, the sentence of death was in my heart. Anybody there yet? You are, we'll pray with you. Paul got to a place that said, I had to learn that this was beyond my ability to endure. Listen what God said to Israel. Verse 17, 26-17. As a woman with child and about to give birth, writhes and cries out in her pain. So we were in your presence, O Lord. We were with child, we writhed in pain, but we gave birth to the wind. They travailed, they fought, they strove. We have not brought salvation to the earth. We have not given birth to the people of the world. This is in 700 B.C. The people of God are crying out, we haven't given birth to the sons of God. We haven't brought salvation. We're enduring difficulty beyond our ability to endure. Anybody in here been striving after Jesus, but it has not produced the life that God wants for you? We need to not look for an easy way out, friends. We need to admit our weakness. We need to realize it doesn't rely upon us and the best we could do is admit immediately in a sincere way. I don't have what it takes so that God can deposit in you something from heaven. You know where the whole idea of walking an aisle in church started? A public acknowledgement that you needed something from God. Now, we're fine generally acknowledging that. We're fine, all of us going, we're all sinners. But it becomes a whole lot more uncomfortable if you're the only person in the room that stands up and says, I'm a sinner. In fact, we see the same thing in altar call after altar call. You give an altar call, nobody comes. One person comes, 35 people come. It's almost like we only want to do it if it's easy or popular. Where did we learn something like that? Give birth according to your own kind. I believe in a new kind. A regenerate kind. One that's really received something from heaven kind. The supernatural kind. The new species kind. The kind that says, if it cost me my life, I will not bow the knee to Baal. This scripture does not end here and it would be an injustice to end it here but your dead will live. Who will live? I saw this preacher the other day. He rebuked somebody who was sleeping in his church. Y'all know what I'm talking about? He said, how dare you fall asleep on me? This is not English. He said, I'm important. We're talking about eternal life here. Then it occurred to him, he could hear the rhetorical thoughts of the people. Oh, you're going to lose him." He said, "He ain't here now. <laughs> now." you've been sitting in church, but you're not really here. You insulated yourself with thoughts about Jesus, vision of producing a Nazarite, but you don't live like a Nazarite yourself. You writhed in lots of pain, but never actually produced the fruit God called you to produce. Because there is a cure for it. The dead rise. The living don't rise. The dead rise. But your dead will live. Their bodies will rise. You will dwell in the dust. Wake up and shout for joy. You who dwell in the dust. Wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will what? Give birth. Give birth to the dead. You want a resurrection from the dead, and it'll never come without the travailing of labor. That's true of the whole bowl of dirt we live on, and it's true in your life. We've made Christianity so trite and so simple. What do we say? It doesn't matter what you've done, Joel. It don't matter at all. I don't want to hear about. It, it doesn't matter what you've done. Here, just pray this prayer after me, Christian. Where is the agony? Where is the brokenness over the life that you've lived? Where is the gut-wrenching realization that sin can no longer be your master? And the utter broken dependency upon the living God that says, if you don't deposit in me strength, I can't do this. I've never been able to do it. Where is that? We've given birth according to our own kind. I believe Jesus deserves a better kind. I don't want a Caesarean section faith. I want a faith that says, I count it all as nothing, that I might gain the glory of the kingdom of God. That's what we're going to pray. In fact, you can stand to your feet.